Whew, again, we are in Genesis chapter 44. We are winding down in Genesis. We have just a few chapters left, and I'm lear- like I said before, I'm learning a lot about Joseph and, and the symbolism that we have in Christ, and it's just a really, just a blessing to know this. But last week in Genesis chapter 43, we read about the brothers eating at Joseph's table. They were getting over their fears of Joseph because he came on to them very harshly. They stayed away for a couple months. Poor Simeon was in jail that whole time, and they were trying to figure out what's going on. And Joseph, when they come into town at noon, he says, you're going to spend the noon meal with me, and we are going to come to the bottom of some of this stuff, right? Why I'm dealing with you harshly. Some of these answers are going to come out. Uh, They come out rather slowly yet. And to their surprise, he sets them up in birth order. And at the end of it, he gives Benjamin five times the amount that his brothers received, which would, in a sense, be saying that he is anointed over the brothers. It is the set of five would be an anointing number. And that's where they're going here. So like Joseph was with his coat, so Benjamin was with the food. And this is the opening part of the test. He was trying to rouse up their jealousy just like they had with Joseph back a few chapters ago where he is thrown into the cistern and then taken and carted off down to Egypt. They don't want to go to Egypt. The drought forces them. This is where we're at today. And so we're going to open our Bibles up to Genesis chapter 44, and we will read the first 10 verses. It says, When his brothers were ready to leave, Joseph gave these instructions to his palace manager. Fill each of their sacks with as much grain as they can carry, and put each man's money back in his sack, and then put his personal my personal silver cup in the youngest brother's sack, along with the money for his grain, so that the manager did as Joseph instructed him. The brothers were up at dawn and were, were sent on their journey with their loaded donkeys. But when they had gone only a short distance, they learned, they were barely out of the city. Joseph said to his palace manager, okay, they didn't learn. Chase after them and stop them. When you catch up with them, ask, Why have you repaid my kindness with such evil? Why have you stolen my master's silver cup, which he uses to predict the future? What a wicked thing you have done. And when the palace manager caught up with the men, he spoke to them as he had instructed. What are you talking about? The brothers responded. You are, we are your servants, and would never do such a thing. Didn't we return the money we found in our sacks? We brought it back all the way from the land of Canaan. Why would we steal a silver or gold from your master's house? We find his cup in any one of us. Let the man die, and the rest of us, my Lord, will be your slaves. That is fair, the man replied, but only the one who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go free. So I titled this Test Part B. Joseph has set them up once again. You would think 
that they would have checked their sacks before they left the house, right? I mean, come on, guys. What are we doing here, right? And if you are Judah, who has sworn to protect Benjamin, don't you think you would have went and checked Benjamin's sack? But that's not the case, and that's not what God had designed for the test, is it? And so there may be some of that. Um, they're so relaxed, they've been so well received that they let their guard down once again and the silver cup has been placed in the youngest one's sack which is benjamin we're going to see how they react now as it's favored at my table joseph sent his manager after them and accuses them of stealing the silver cup now notice a few things he says that he uses this for divination now whether he uses it for divination or if it's just the way that the egyptians understand it and he uses god's power the the writing in there to say that they would do such a wicked thing and that divination has set it shows that there's consequences for their sins that there is another side of good right if there is good there is evil and it is pointing to satan actually i was, i found that out uh, yesterday when I was listening to Baruch. And it was interesting because every time we see the story, we see Joseph set up as that, but we don't necessarily see a consequences. This is the first time we see consequences because it's coming down to it. They have to make a decision what's going to happen. Okay? So he puts the silver cup in the youngest one's sack, sends him off, and also let's notice their answers. What are you talking about? I don't have a silver cup in there. You are confused. Notice how they're going back into their patterns of saying, you're the one that misunderstood, which they did last time this happened, and Simeon got thrown, they all got thrown in jail, and Simeon got there for a long time. You think Simeon would have checked his sack for crying out loud, it was in there for at least two months, right? Oh boy, these guys. The problem must be on your end because it couldn't be on my end. I checked. We checked our sacks, right? We went through that. Guys, right? We checked that. Uh, who checked the sacks? Oh, uh, guys. Oh, no. Nobody looked to see what we had. Either way, they're so confident that they are right in their righteousness that they're like hey we'll set up the consequences if you find that silver cup we'll all be slaves and the person who has stolen it can die agreed yeah all the brothers agreed yep that's how confident that they are not and man i just gotta wonder how sneaky those household servants were they had to be stinking geniuses when it came to sneaking so um pretty amazing so they pronounce their own judgment and Joseph's servant replied, no. And he replies in grace. He says, no, only the one will be a slave to, who, to his own wrongdoing. We have a lot of grace there because they have pronounced their judgment. He could very well, he even agrees, what you pronounce is correct. That's the law of the land. That's what I agree with you. But we're going to back it off, probably so they don't, like, I don't know, 
Maybe he was afraid that they were going to do something rash or something. So we're just going to make him the slave, right? They put all the consequences on Benjamin is what he does. I want to see how you're going to react when Benjamin is convicted of this crime, even though he did not commit it, but I want to see how you're going to react to what Joseph wants. Does Joseph know his brothers or does he know his brothers? Man, he's told them the same thing. Their arrogance, their pride is um, coming, and they, once again they're falling flat on their face. He allows their pride to walk right into the self-righteous trap, and Joseph knows where the cup is. He knows where the money is, and the brothers haven't a clue what's going on. This is much like our relationship with the Lord. God knows us backwards and forwards, and when we try to control our own way, we are snared by the sin that we have created. The sand that's in the brother's path, the sin that was in the brother's path was pride, self-righteous pride. We have all got this all figured out. We know how this scenario is going to go, and yet they do not. We never, we'll never fall for that same trick twice. They're confident in fact that they pronounce their own judgment again. Yet, aren't we doing the same thing when it comes to our rebellion or in our defiance of sin? We are slaves to sin while we are on this earth, not living in the fullness that God has for each one of us. And we are pronouncing judgment and death in hell nonetheless when we stand on our own self-righteousness, right? Can you imagine the brothers as they go through this? Um, just amazing. However, when it comes to Jesus with a broken, when we come to Jesus with a broken and contrite heart, then he will lift us out of the muck and mire of this world, right? So we have hope, and they have hope. So we're, let's go see what they do. Genesis 44, 11 through 17 says, they all quickly took their sacks from the back of their donkeys and opened them. The palace manager searched the brothers' sacks from the oldest to youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. When the brothers saw this, they tore their clothes in despair. Then they loaded their donkeys again and returned to the city. Joseph was still in his palace when Judah and his brothers arrived, and they fell to the ground before him. What have you done? Joseph demanded. Don't you know that a man like me can predict the future? Judah answered, Oh, my Lord, what can we say to you? How can we explain this? How can we prove our innocence? God is punishing us for our sins. My Lord, we have all returned to be your slaves, all of us, not just our brother who has had your cup in our sack. No, Joseph says, I will never do such a thing. Only the man who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go back to your father in peace. What's that point to at the end there? Points to an individual decision, doesn't it? We each have to decide on our own. And you can go about your time on this earth in peace if you so choose. Or are you going to bear the consequences? So I look at this as God's refining process. 
They were all quick to grab their sacks. They were all quick to prove their innocence. And they can't imagine that self-righteous feeling from the brothers each time one of them has their sack open. They start with Reuben, and he's like, see, it's not there. They go to the next one, and then they go to Levi, and then they go to Judah, and, they, and they're like, their confidence is building and building, and they're just being like, see, see, why are you harassing us all this? Wait a minute. We got one major hurdle at the end of this line. Dad said that he has got to come back healthy. Benjamin has got to come back healthy. And you can imagine after about the ninth or tenth brother that they're starting to wonder, wait a minute, he's got us in birth order again. And wondered where they started feeling relief with each brother or did they find dread because we still got to get over the hurdle of Benjamin. Right? Because if Benjamin has that cup in there, we are in trouble. And they look down at the end. They see him down there and they says, oh no, not Ben. He would never do that. He would, he's got more integrity than all of us. And they open up his sack. And what do they have right there? It's the silver cup. This time, instead of going home and talking to their father... They go straight back to Joseph. What a great symbolism of repentance. Anytime we go to the Lord and we fall and we fail in sin, we sin against him, we need to run to the Father, right? Again and again and again and again. That's one of the songs we've been doing lately. So here they are again. In their defiance, they forgot to check their bags. They forgot to watch over their younger brother like they promised their father they would. And the ball is in their court. Are they going to make a run for it? Or are they going to face the consequences they have laid out for themselves? They decide to seek mercy from Joseph. They decide to say that we're all going to be your slaves. Remember, they all should have been slaves and Benjamin should have been killed. What about us? When we're confronted with our sins, how do we react? Do we run away like they did the first time? Do we run back to our Heavenly Father and seek shelter from Him? Or do we run to our earthly father, Jacob, and say, Jacob, what are we going to do? He's demanding this and this and this. And moreover, we found the payment in the sack. What does that payment represent each time he gives the payment back? What did they do to Joseph again? They sold him into slavery, right? Can they ever pay that debt back? Think of the time that he's lost from his family. Think of the time that they've lost from dad. Think of the grief that dad is going through still. Joseph doesn't know that, but he might have a clue about it now uh, from their last visit because he could understand them talking, right? As they walk together, that payment represents that they cannot afford their own salvation. 
Joseph says, I don't want your payment. I want your hearts, just like Jesus says, right? I don't want a payment. I don't want works. If I had that, I could have just, I didn't have to die on the cross. So that's not what I want. What I want is you to surrender your will to me and then walk forward in my will. Not my will, but you know, that will, no, still nothing. Man, all right. <laughs> Jesus is going to, going to be our way back to the Father, just like Joseph was, right? The solution is not getting on the Jesus train. It's not saying, hey, if you just come, God's going to make everything all right. It's going to be a wonderful time. It's not a carnival. It's not this scenic route that we're going to go around the Rocky Mountains and see this wonderful scenery on the train. No, it's not that people are going to be like, oh, look at Pastor House on the Jesus train. Look at how wonderful he is. Oh, dear. No, it should never be that, should it? No, it's more like this. Jesus I have a burden on my back. And now that you're convicting me, I have your burden on my back as well. And you've ridden the stallion long enough. I can't go anymore. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. I can't do it on my own. I need your help. And he says, I can work with that, right? that moment we talked about it last week about breaking uh calves to lead it's same as breaking the horse you start with putting the saddle on getting them comfortable with that you start by throwing yourself over the saddle you work them around the ring and they go and they go and they go until they break and it's not breaking their will necessarily it's breaking um what god has for each one of us so uh, you guys are distracting me. <laughs> it's all right. Just keep going. Um, I need you. This is us saying, I need you to rescue me from the burden of sin. And there's relief. There's relief when Jesus comes with a broken and contrite heart. And then he will lift us out of the muck and the mire of this world, right? So let's continue on. Genesis 44, 18 through 33. I'm going to have you guys out early today. And you're like, woo Maybe, maybe not. Um, I love this passage. Because who did we hear about earlier on? We heard about Judah, how he messed up with Tamar. And when I mean mess up, he sinned majorly against Tamar, against his sons, against God. And he is the one that's supposed to have the lineage of Christ. It's supposed to come from Judah. Judah is supposed to be the leader. You're going to see Judah in Exodus. He is going to be the house that leads them into um, all the trials and tribulations of war that they go into. Okay, It's supposed to come from them. He's supposed to be the leader. And we finally start to see Judah step up. 
and be the man that God wants him to be. Verse 18, then Judah stepped forward and said, please, my Lord, let your servant say just one word to you. Please do not be angry with me, even though you are as powerful as Pharaoh himself. Look at the position of humility Judah puts himself in. It's pretty amazing from the story that we know of him. My Lord, previously you asked your servants, do, not have a, do you not have a father and a brother? We responded, yes, my Lord, we have a father who is an old man and his youngest son who is a child of his old age. His full brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him very much. And you said to us, bring him here so I can see him with my own eyes. But we said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for the father would die. But you told us, unless your youngest brother comes with you, you will never see my face again. Which would not be good for them. They would probably starve to death. So we returned to your servant, our father, and told him what you had said later when he said, go back again and buy more food. We replied, we cannot go unless you let your youngest brother go with us. We will never get to see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Then the man said, then my father said to us, as you know, my wife had two sons and one of them went away and never returned. Doubtless, he was torn to pieces by some wild animal. I have never seen him again. Now, if you take my brother away from me, his brother away from me, and harm comes to him, you will send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. If he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired haired man to his grave my lord i guaranteed to my father that i would take care of the boy i told him if i don't bring him back to you i will bear the blame forever so please my lord let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy let the boy return with his brothers and for how can i return to my father and the boy is not with me i couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father wow what a place of humility what a place of submission it is really amazing to see him be the change that christ wants to see right oftentimes we get into situations where we want to see change we need to ask ourselves are we willing to be the change that we want to see. So we need to set the example in that. Here we find the brother standing before the judge. It happens to be their brother. They don't know that though. The man is not too fond of them. And here he comes with harshness once again. But he invites them to lunch. This man holds all the power. And they are marked as guilty once again. And out of all the brothers, who should have checked Benjamin's sack? Yes, it's Judah. Remember, he put his life on the line for the sake of Benjamin so that they could go get grain. 
Now Benjamin, he stands condemned. The chosen son, the next in line, the honored heir. And who was the one that's supposed to step up for that? Supposed to be Judah. Judah is probably technically supposed to be the one that's supposed to be the chosen heir because Reuben slept with his father's concubine. The next two got violent. It was Levi and uh, I think it's Simeon. I can't remember. And then Judah would have been the fourth one, but he was not of the chosen wife, which is Rachel. That would have been Joseph. And he's like, this is the one I wanted to marry first in the first place. That's who I want to have the heir. But that's not what God designed it, is it? It was actually Leah's concubine that had Judah, and that would be where this is coming from. I'm pretty sure it was Leah's concubine. It could have been Leah too. Uh, Judah steps up and he takes responsibility like he's supposed to. He recognizes the power of the judge over them and he asks for grace just to speak. If you would just listen, that's all I ask. Let me share the story that we have. Let me tell you the risk that you are putting on our family if he passes away, if, if the brother stays here. And he pleads for the life, not only of his brother, but for his father, which had to have touched Joseph in a mighty way. Judah is willing to take responsibility for the family to reconcile to the Pharaoh, just like he should have done from the get-go. Clear back when Joseph was thrown in the cistern, he should have taken responsibility then, but he was not mature enough 20 years ago, and he did not do that. He's learned a thing or two since then. Joseph pleads, not out of arrogance, because you could read this passage and see, say, well, that was very arrogant of him to say that. That's not what it was. It was out of responsibility. He is putting the weight on his shoulder. It is out of integrity. I am going to turn over a new leaf. And it is out of love for his father, his youngest brother, and the rest of his brothers. This is a great example, again, of what Christ does for each one of us when he takes the responsibility of our sin and takes it to the cross. What a neat story to see so many different things pop in there and lead back to Jesus. Judah has learned from his past mistakes that he is not going to repeat the Joseph situation again. He takes responsibility and he leads. Notice, Joseph takes his plea to the judge of Egypt. He does not go to his own court. He does not run back to Canaan and say, we're going to judge it in my court. Okay? We're going to judge it with, from my point of view. Yet he runs and he goes to Joseph and he lays down and puts it all before the judge of Egypt. Just like us, when we go before the Lord. It is not a court of our own making. It is a court that the Lord Jesus Christ has made before God the Heavenly Father, first and foremost. So this is because the violation happened in the Egyptian court and not a Canaan court. Just like our violations with the Lord are in his court and not one of our own. God calls us out of this world, folks. He calls us out of this pattern of thinking. He calls us into new life with him. 
but it's got to go through his way that we might have life to the fullest. But that requires us to answer to him and him alone and not to justify our actions by our own self-righteousness. Notice Judah never says we are not guilty. He implies it a little bit, but they're caught red-handed and he goes straight for mercy. So where are we at today? Where are you at today? Are you struggling? Are you discontent? Do you feel there's a distance between you and God? Is there something you need to work on? It's time to look at our motives for our actions. We can see our actions, right? We can look back yesterday and we can see our actions. Where, where did we have loving actions and where did we have not-so-loving actions, right? Can we justify our own actions by our own self-righteousness? No, we cannot. We have to take them before a judge. It's time to look at what's behind the what and know the why. Because if we know the why, then the what is easy, right? If we know why we're submitting to God, then the what is easy. So I will give you a practical example of that. Okay, think about it this way. Why do we take the garbage out of our house? Why do we take the garbage out? It stinks, right? Even I know that one. Even with a broker, broken sniffer sometimes, I can still, even with the clogged sniffer, I can smell stinky garbage, right? Why do we have toilets in the house? Because we want that stink to go out too. We don't want it in there. We don't want a stinky bathroom. We don't want a stinky house. It just comes down to common sense. Just like our spiritual house, we need to take the garbage out. It will start to stink. It starts to attract flies. It starts become maggot infested and it's disgusting it's absolutely gross and the longer it sits the longer and the more it festers and wow have you ever gone into a house that has been vacant for a long time and it's got squatters in there and the water's been shut off wow now there's a new smell for you let me tell you it is disgusting right? So likewise, if we know why we are serving the Lord, if we know why we need to come to him, why do we come to him? Because he can clean up the stench. He can clean the house. He will take the garbage out. He will make sure the plumbing's working. He will make sure that things are deposited where they're supposed to be, and we will be made right for a home for him in our hearts. Amen? then it's easy to serve him. It's easy to serve him because we know why he cleaned my house up. The what's easy? It's easy for me to serve him. If we know that there is sin between God and us and we let it fester, 
It becomes a stench in the nostril of our Lord and Savior. I challenged a couple this week, and they answered the call when I threw down an ultimatum. And I don't do that very often, if you've ever talked to me about in counseling, but I also knew that they knew better. And by golly, they stood, st- stepped up to the plate and did the right thing. And I was so proud of them. Someday you might get to hear that story. That has been my highlight of the week. That is why it is important when we are confronted in our sin to step up and get rid of it, to admit that we are wrong, to do a self-evaluation, to check out, how am I doing? How did I do yesterday? How did I do this week? How did the last month go? Am I walking closer with the Lord or am I walking away from him? What can I do to make it right? How can I do this better? Am I giving God the glory or am I taking it for myself? Did I do something wonderful that I could give him the credit for? Do I need to walk back off maybe in our pain? I'm identifying too much of my pain about me and making it about me. How can I give my pain to the Lord as well? Because if God can take care of my glory, he can take care of my pain. And if God can take care of my pain, he can take care of my glory. Right? He wants, the, he wants it all. He wants it all. So come to him with a broken and contrite heart, and he will lift each one of us out of the muck and the mire of this world so we can see the change in us that we want to see in this world. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of salvation. Lord, it comes with surrender. We have to surrender to you, and that is hard to do. It's hard to do for this pastor. It's hard to do for this congregation. It's hard to do as a Christian. But we want to submit to you, and we know why we're doing this. Because you are cleaning the house. You are making us right with God the Father so that we can get to heaven through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so what am I going to do about it? I'm going to beat my body and make it my slave so that you can be the ruler of this house. Literally. Lord, forgive me when I've turned away from you. Forgive me when my thoughts have strayed away. Lord, allow me, the pastor, to keep those Christian tunes on so I can keep walking with you. Lord, I pray that I wouldn't be about the Jesus train, but we would be carrying each other's burden, come alongside each other, and lifting each other up out of the muck and mire. Lord, I pray for those that weren't able to be here with us today. I pray for those that are ashamed that they're in sin. Lord, I pray that you would lift them up, be a comfort to them, show them the path, and say, this is the way. This is the way. Walk in it. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love the people and to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, 
who loves people, who makes disciples, who makes more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.